Welcome to Brand and New, brought to you by the International Trademark Association. INTA is a global association representing more than 30,000 brand owners and professionals dedicated to supporting trademarks and related intellectual property to foster consumer trust, economic growth, and innovation. In this podcast series, every two weeks, host Audrey Dove shares with you a new topic related to innovation and its impact for the legal world, with a special focus on intellectual property. My guest today is Darren Teng, the Chief Executive of the Intellectual Property Office of Singapore. Before he took over the IP office three years ago, he was taking care of its registry, and as an expert in international law, he has been involved in the negotiation of key free trade agreements between Singapore and the US, and also with the European Union. He will share with us his views about the goals and the general role that an IP office should play today, as well as tomorrow, in a small country that is one of the most stable and open economies in the world. Darren, could you give us first your views about the IP system in general today? Thank you so much, Audrey. Uh, first, the IP system, the IP regime, must be there to support a country's economic and social development. It's not there in a vacuum, it's there to help that country achieve those goals. And I think what's happening in Singapore, and I think beyond Singapore and Asia, right, is that many countries in this part of the world are going through an economic transformation where we are trying to build a future economy that is based less and less on foreign investments and more and more on innovation. If you look at countries like Japan and Korea, they have taken this path some time ago. But what we are seeing now is that now in Singapore's case, uh, we are looking at the next 50 years and we think that innovation will be a very critical engine of our growth. And I think that in the previous phase of our growth, when our economy was driven by foreign investments, the role of the IP office was probably to create the most attractive regulatory environment and the most efficient registry for investors. Uh, but as we morph our economy um, away from that to becoming innovation driven, as IP stops being just an output, and starts being an input into jobs, companies, products and services, I think that the role of the IP office must also evolve away from just being a registry and a regulator to an innovation agency that helps enterprises use IP to take their ideas to the market. So in this new environment, we are trying to work with a much broader range of partners. We're looking at the whole innovation cycle from ideation to the registration stage, but going beyond that, right? into the stage where we help companies commercialize their, their ideas using IP. And we think that that's going to be a critical part of our mission going on, that the IP office uh, by itself cannot drive a lot of these broader goals uh, going ahead. So one of the things that we find ourselves doing is they're working with a much larger range of partners, right, both in government as well as the private sector, uh, to help enterprises take their ideas to the market. Can you share an example? Last year, IFOS worked with with a private equity fund to launch a innovation fund at a billion dollars. We're not LPs in the fund, but we partner with the fund, right, to give uh, scale up and innovative enterprises a chance to have access to capital to grow their companies. Now, that's a bit unusual for IP office, but these are the new and innovative things that we are trying to do in order to help uh, use IP, right, in a much more strategic way in Singapore. How does it work at the international level? Uh, IP is territorial, but innovation is global. <laughs> Uh, and with the trend where you see very strongly where no one company or no one country can innovate entirely within that company or country, it is critical that we work with as many partners across the world. So, so the partnerships are not just with people within Singapore, but people across across the world. How do you define innovation, actually? 
Yeah, so we have a very technical understanding of innovation. Uh, and we'll be inspired by the OECD definition of innovation, which is that innovation is about uh, taking an idea right, but it must have economic or social impact. So we look at innovation as a process that has, in the end, right, economic and social impact. Uh, so when we talk about innovation, right, we are talking about how to help people along that process, mm -hmm. how do we help to uh, bring people along that process, and how to align all the different stakeholders within the country as well as internationally to support that process. So if you talk about the fund, beyond the fund, uh, we find that in Singapore and in Asia in general, there is a lack of skills and understanding innovation. So my office has a subsidiary called the IP Academy that trained 4,000 people last year in various IT and innovation-related skills, from half-day courses on basic IP awareness to two-year post-grad courses that we work with local universities to train people in, in, in very deep skills in, in innovation. So you look at innovation as a process. Recently, the world's five largest IP offices, the US, China, Korea, Japan, and the European Patent Office, the so-called IP5 offices, named together artificial intelligence, one of their top strategic priorities and a necessary subject of cooperation. What's your view on such initiative? I, I think that the IP5, right, being the five biggest uh, uh, recipients of IP applications, have correctly set AI as one of their top priorities. Uh, and I do think that the impact of AI is staggering and it's totally unsurprising that this is a priority area for them. Uh, if you look at the stats, right, at the global level, AI will fundamentally reshape our economy. Uh, so, for example, global revenues from AI for enterprise applications, so it will be things like image recognition, tagging, data processing, the use of algorithms, mm -hmm. will grow from $1.6 billion in this year to $31 billion in just seven years' time by 2025. Number of jobs requiring AI skills will, has grown 4.5 times since um, five years ago. So if we put the focus on AI, how should it impact the way IP offices work? I think that in that environment where AI becomes so critical to social development, economic development, uh, what the IP offices have to do is to not just be reactive, right, but come together to understand how that has an impact on the way they work, uh, on the type of applications you receive, and ultimately how to support the growth of this industry. There is also going to be deep impact in the way it, it, it works. So, uh, if you look at the AI's ability to do error-free image recognition, mm -hmm. I think that has been an area where we are seeing impact across. Um, I know that in China, for example, there's a competition every year where they pit AI uh, against the top doctors right, in diagnosing certain medical conditions based on certain images, and I think uh, AI regularly beats the doctors right now as much lower human error, human, uh, error rate. So I do think that as AI comes into the office, it will transform the way we work. Any example? You know, patent documentation right now is in different languages, uh, and not many viewers may know this, but almost 40% of patent docu documentation is right now in exclusively in the Chinese language. So that means that there is a need for AI right, to be able to help translate that substantial amount of patent literature right, into English or other languages uh, that you know, other people around the world will need to have access to. Mm -hmm. And there are more and more IP feelings to manage. I think 6 out of 10 IP applications are now um, from Asia, but I think last year alone there were 3.3 million patent applications, 7 million trademark applications, wow. and close to 1 million design applications. That's a staggering sum. And so I think AI will help us to come to grips with that. Darren, where is the human element in this evolution? 
Now, for me, as the CEO of the office, and I'm sure for many of our listeners out there, right, who are themselves struggling and trying to see how and excited about how AI will impact the way uh, we work, uh, for me, the human element is equally important. AI will disrupt the jobs of our colleagues, uh, especially those of our colleagues who are doing, you know, um, work that is mass, work that is simply just about crunching numbers and analyzing things that huge data sets. Mm-hmm. So I think that we also need to make sure that we um, help these colleagues help the disruption, right? And that's another that's an important part of the job as well. And what about the role of examiners, for instance? Yeah, I, th- I think that's something which already has been happening. And I think most offices are different levels of this, right? But the most, uh, what I hear often from IP offices is that they are trying to digitalize their entire IP processes end-to-end. Uh, IPOS has done this some years back. We are now almost 100% online filing from our clients, uh, from our from the applicants. And back-end, we are already 100% digitalized. Uh, various IP offices around the world are at different stages of this. Of course, IP5 is, is also, you know, has done this for quite some time. So there's a lot of uh, really a lot of use of technology to transform IP office processes. But AI will transform it to another level. And, and what are the expectations of your users, of your clients, toward the services you offer? I think that the you know, IP offices are quite used to being at the or being or seeing people who are at the forefront of innovation. Uh, we deal with new technologies, new brands, new designs, uh, new ways of thinking, new ways of looking at the world, right, uh, all the time. So I think IT offices, more than many other government agencies, uh, are probably well-placed to to handle that. Uh, that said, we do see people demanding that we are uh, more efficient, uh, more transparent uh, in dealing with them. And I think that is not just about technology, that's also the expectations of a new generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you think about it, those of us who got teenage kids, uh, they are transacting the world, buying a song or downloading an app uh, in a matter of just seconds or maybe at a most a minute or two. Uh, when they become business owners or brand owners, they be able to uh, stomach the idea of uh, spending half an hour to fill up a form, right, file a trademark or patent application. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. So we as IP officers have that demand from them to drastically overhaul our processes so that their experience at the IP office is the same as the experience with the bank or with, you know, with a content provider, right? And I think that's going to change a lot the way we work. You are describing the IP office of the future. Do you also see some pitfalls to this evolution? But in terms of demands, uh, in terms of the type of technology that's emerging, I don't think IP offices are at a loss because we have been dealing with this for a long time. That's our bread and butter. Uh, one thing I have to say, though, is that as an IP office, right, my philosophy is not to overreact to technology trends. There's a lot of developments out there that if you attempt to overregulate too early in the stage of that technology, it may end up, despite good intentions, creating distorted effects and not allowing the technology to grow in an in organic and natural way. So, example, we reviewed our registered designs regime about three, four years ago, and the, 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 and the amendments were passed last year. And when we were reviewing the, the, the regime, right, there was a big discussion as to whether we should amend the regime to better support 3D printing. And we thought that at the time, since the industry was so nascent, it's best for us to step aside, not regulate it, let it grow. And I think that was a wise decision because, as you see, uh, 3D printing has developed in, in, in many different ways. And I'd rather make sure that we, we are skillful and wise in, in, in dealing with it. 
Uh, in Singapore, we call this the Goldilocks approach towards uh, IP regulation. Not too hot, not too cold. Uh, but the Goldilocks zone also requires that we uh, keep in touch with stakeholders very often because it is dynamic and know that neither hot nor cold means that you've got to find a balance. And the right balance means working, hearing out stakeholders and then rebalancing, readjusting the IP regime that goes along. Wise rule. What are the challenges faced to implement new processes? I guess it's not necessarily easy, even though you lead an IP office that is used to embrace innovation. No, it's, it's, it's never that easy, but I think that makes it more meaningful because I think that many of the stakeholders we, we work with are international. Singapore is a small country. We have a very open economy. Our trade is three times our GDP, uh, and we have been very successful Uh, attracting foreign you know, foreign investors, companies into our shores. I think everyone in the Fortune 500 in, in Singapore, and there are 7,000 over at MNCs here. So I think uh, we do have a lot of conversations with them. By the way, Intel also has a has a has it's one of its external offices here. So we work with all these stakeholders very closely. We hear their views. There aren't big systemic issues with our regime, uh, and that's the reason because that we are a small country, and right from the start we have decided that we have to be very plugged into the global ecosystem. So, for example, right, Singapore has got patent prosecution highway or patent sharing uh, arrangements with 70 or other countries. Uh, we are one, one of the first in the region to sign on to Madrid, PCT and Hague. So we find that our, our IP ecosystem here is very familiar to many of our stakeholders. They don't have any major difficulties with it. But I think you're talking about specific technology areas. Yes, there are others. There are some who who wish us to, to do more so. Do you have an example, maybe in fintech, which is a very dynamic area in Singapore? Um, we know that fintech is a big area. Singapore is, and London are said to be the two biggest fintech uh, hubs in the world. So based on feedback we heard from the fintech industry here, <clears throat> and their need for decisions in a much faster business cycle. Mm -hmm. We launched a program earlier this year called Fast Track for Fintech, where a fintech pattern application right can move from application to grant so not just public but grant within six months so that's some of the ways in which we react and we and we work with stakeholders to support them through through the journey and ultimately to support singapore's ambitions to be a fintech hub and what are your predictions in the short and longer run regarding the role of ip offices i think in the short run we see innovation as a process by which ideas are taken to the market ideas have social and economic impact and we see the IP regime right, is supporting a country's level and desire and next stage of economic and social development. I think with this in mind, you will see that uh, no country stands still. They are all trying to improve their economy, all trying to support uh, uh, their, their society, right? Uh, so I think at the minimum, in the short term, and this will continue always because this will always be the call of the IP office, we all have to be the best registry and the most skillful regulators that we can be. And I think the best registry means, as I said earlier, right? making sure that our interactions, our customer interfaces are fully digital, um, support not just the current innovators and entrepreneurs and business owners, right, but those of the next generation, uh, efficient, transparent, uh, and all of that that allows customers to interact with us and to give them all the encouragement they need to, to get that protection for their IP. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think all the economies in the region uh, and beyond Asia, even Latin America, Africa, Middle East, Central Asia, right? All of them start looking at innovation and technology and, and digitalization to drive the economy. 
an SDI economy morphed away from a traditional infrastructure, resources, and property-based economy to, a, to an innovation-based economy, uh, I think the role of the IP office will start morphing like what we have had to do in Singapore, away from just being a registry and regulator to themselves being innovation agencies. And I think here they'll probably have different models. Uh, there are some things about Singapore that are a little bit unique that may not apply to some other parts of the world. Can you explain this? Uh, so, for example, I think in Singapore, right, the government ethos is that you should not just regulate, you should also try and build the industry. So that's something which has been very encouraging for my office to do. And we're given the latitude and the mandate to not just regulate the industry, but also to build up the whole sector. Hmm. Uh, some other IP offices have a narrow mandate. So maybe that will be done by another ministry, the parent ministry, or by other government agencies. But the point is that I think the IP offices will get more and more connected to that innovation ecosystem that these countries are all trying to build. So I do think that beyond being a registry and a regulator, IP offices now have to start engaging with, with the financiers in their country, with the enterprises, the business associations, going downstream in that, and going upstream as well, right, to working with their researchers and their tech transfer offices. Mm-hmm. And I really see that happening, by the way. Um, when we first started on this journey a couple of years ago, it was fairly new amongst the IP office community. But uh, I just attended the, I don't know, as we all do, the WIFO General Assembly this year. And in the opening speeches by all the director generals, uh, you heard country after country saying that IP commercialization and the innovation ecosystem is now more and more part of their area of focus. So I do think that trend is really starting. Of course, the challenge is what do we really do? Uh, what can we really do to, to become an innovation agency? Um, I posit the answer to that is that we have several initiatives. I mentioned the working with private equity, and I also mentioned that we are training people, building up skills. And, and I think the other things, other things we're doing is that we're looking at IP valuation. We just launched an IP insurance scheme with Lloyd uh, just a couple of months ago. We're looking to work with more of the regional universities to bring more IP training, not just to Singapore, but to the region, because the region is very exciting. So I think different countries and different regions have different answers to that. But the fundamental is that I think all IP officers will have to be and will get more and more plugged into the innovation ecosystem of their country. You talked earlier about the life cycle of innovation. Is there a special role IP offices should play in it? The, the role of the IP office in the innovation ecosystem, to me, should be a technical role. And I think at IFOS, we call ourselves a weapon specialist. Uh, we are not the James Bond out there getting all the, you know, on Her Majesty's mission. But we see ourselves as Q, producing new, exotic, cool weapons that James Bond can go out there to do his job. Uh, and I think IP officers will always have, and we should always leverage on that expertise that it has, that deep technical expertise, and should not try to be a generalist organization. And, but what it has to do is to work closely with the generalist organizations, right? The, you know, the trade ministries, the innov- other innovation agencies, together to score goals for the country, to support enterprises, to work across regions and internationally, right? To help our world economy um, achieve its, uh, its promise. The other thing I wanted to mention also is that the international interest in IP, I see that as broadening very substantially beyond just the rights holders. I know Inter has a, a membership largely of rights holders and IP service providers, mm-hmm. but what I see in the IP office front is that um, many, many other stakeholders within the country 
uh, as well internationally are beginning to get very interested in the IT ecosystem. So I'm talking about NGOs, I'm talking about civil society organizations, talking about consumer associations. So I also do think that not just IT offices, but international organizations like Inter and others will also increasingly have to engage with them, bring them into the conversation. And I mm -hmm. think that's also going to change the way we look at IP and change the way the IP, international IP system is being shaped. Mm -hmm. I have a question about brands. Where do you see them in the IP strategy? In a world where IP headlines tend to revolve around patents and patent disputes, and we've been talking quite a bit in this conversation about patents and technology, right? Trademarks is the unsung hero of the IP world. Um, and you think about it, every enterprise and product has an identity that needs to be communicated to consumers and stakeholders. And the trademark system is absolutely crucial to the protection and the monetization of the identity. So I think trademarks is the bread and butter of the, of the IP world. Uh, and I do think that if you look at IP strategy, right, it's not just about the patenting strategy, even though that helps the headline. It's about combining the patent strategy, right, with the trademark strategy and beyond that to how you are using data, trade secrets, know-how, right. And so at the IP office level, we also see that it's no longer just about one or two types of registered IP. It's about a company's portfolio of intangible assets. And I think that's the way in which IP offices are also going to evolve, right? And I think that's a broadening of the focus uh, along with not just looking at IP but innovation. There'll be a broadening of focus away from just registered IP, right, to intangible assets. Now let's conclude with a question we ask all our guests to give our listeners a very practical takeaway to keep up with innovation. Darren, can you tell us your secret? How do you keep up with innovation? What are your tips and other sources or publications that you would recommend to our listeners to go further on this topic? So first, I would like to say that it's important to keep up to speed with the international IP development by reading the what I call the trade publications in IP. And you know what? You know, they, they are MIP, IAM, and all of that. It's good to keep abreast using using and understanding what's going on in the world. Uh, I find interest bulletins very useful as well because what, what happens is that you guys are able to draw on your many different committees right, to share information across different jurisdictions. Uh, IP is uh, territorial by innovations global, right? So that we need to understand what's happening not just in your country but around the world. I also think that it's important uh, wherever your basic discipline is. You know, as a lawyer, I, I still keep in touch with the IP law blog and make sure that I try to understand some of the jurisprudential developments at a technical level. Uh, it's important to keep flexing that muscle because we need to make sure that we, we understand things at a, at, a, at a deeper level than others you know, in the innovation ecosystem. Uh, but because IP is also about taking ideas to the market and because we see the, the enterprise as a vehicle to take the ideas to the market, I think it's also important for our readers to understand what's going on in the business world, in the financing world, and beyond that, to have a sense about you know, international economy and geopolitics. So a very, very broad read, I think that's very important. Uh, I have a unfair advantage because my team of patent analysts will issue patent landscape reports. These are available, by the way, on, online. So you can come to the iPods website and download the patent landscape reports, right? But they do do much deeper analysis of certain technology areas. I get to read them. They're not publicly available. But I think that's important because uh, it allows us to have an insight, not just based on industry knowledge, right, but based on data as well. And what about a book? If you're asking to recommend a book, I would say don't forget what makes us human amongst all this conversation about AI and tech and digitalization. We need to keep that part of us mm -hmm. where we put away all these things and just enjoy a good book, you know, 
not on a iPad or on a, on a reader, right? But you know, tactile and you know, and, and good old fashioned read, right? And I would say that uh, read a Penguin Classic every now and then. These things have been around for hundreds of years, and whether where technology takes us, right? They're going to be relevant to to us human beings and to the human condition for the centuries to come. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Darren, for giving me the opportunity to share. My guest today was Darren Tang, the head of one of the most trailblazing IP offices in the world, the Singapore office. And please note that the next INTA's annual meeting will take place in Singapore between April 25th and 29th in 2020. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in every two weeks on Tuesday for future episodes of Brand and New, a podcast from the International Trademark Association. If you liked this episode and think someone else would too, please share it. And to learn more about INTA, please visit INTA.org.